Today is episode five. I'm Chris Motes, and this is Faith in Politics. South Dakota Catholic Conference represents the bishops of South Dakota on matters of public policy, providing explanations of how church teaching applies to the issues of our day. On this podcast, we range from the soul to the state as we try to cultivate those virtues and explore those principles that help us live well as faithful Catholics in this great land. If you're listening in for the first time, my name's Chris Motes. I'm your host and the executive director of the Catholic Conference. Happy husband to Hannah and the dad of four awesome kids, and I want to be a faithful disciple and a good citizen. I am joined today by a priest of the Diocese of Sioux Falls, Father Andy Thuringer. Welcome, Father. Hey, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Today, we're going to talk about uh, the letter to Diagnetus. Help me out, Father. How do we pronounce this? Diagnetus. The, the letter to uh, the letter to Diagnetus, uh, uh, an, an ancient document about 1,800 years old. Before we uh, get into the letter, Father, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm a brand new priest. Uh, been ordained about three years. Uh, right now, I'm the associate pastor at St. Mary's in Aberdeen. Um, before that, I was at seminary in St. Paul in the Twin Cities uh, for about seven years, and now I'm back in the glorious Diocese of Sioux Falls and ready to get at it. So, And in your uh, short time as an ordained priest, you, you've had a couple moves. Uh, started out in Mitchell, Holy Family? Yep, Holy Family in Mitchell, beautiful parish, lovely people, and now I'm blessed to be in Aberdeen. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me on your Christmas break. The letter to Diagnetus. It's a weird one, right? It's not something that we normally talk about. Um, it's kind of an obscure little letter, uh, but I think it's beautiful. And just to give you kind of some background as to why we would want to talk about this letter, you know, as, as priests, we're called to talk about politics, um, sometimes from the pulpit, sometimes in classes and different things. And it's always, as politics is, it's almost always contentious. It's almost always con, you know, full of conflict and argument. And some people think this and some people think that. And some people just don't want to hear it, Father. And... I always understood that, but I also knew, you know, Pope Francis said he wants Catholic politicians, right? He wants, he wants Catholics involved in politics that we're not mm. supposed to run away from our civic responsibility. Mm. And so going through seminary, I was very conscious, like, how am I going to talk about politics to God's people? Mm. And I was in a class on Catholic politics and we read this letter and it just set my heart on fire. Like it moved me spiritually, not civically. And I was like, this is it. Um, because this is a beautiful part of our faith, uh, and it's full of great teaching. So I want to share it with you. That's, that's why I'm here today. So maybe just set the stage a little bit. When was this letter written? Um, by whom and to whom? And what was the world like at that time? So the world at that time, this letter was written around the year 130 AD. Uh, so we're in the Roman Empire, and Christianity has spread through the Roman Empire, but it's still illegal to be Christian, right? It won't become legal until 312. And so Christians are still periodically persecuted, arrested, attacked, killed. But more than that, they're socially attacked, right? Uh, 
there's this great study that's been done over all the Roman sources talking about Christianity. And we have many letters from early Romans in the first 200 years of Christianity and what they thought of Christians. And uh, many of them attack them based on the fact that they couldn't be full citizens because they wanted to be part of Rome in some ways, but not in other ways. They would take part in some customs, but then they would refuse to sacrifice to the gods. You know, who are these people? And we have all these attacks. What's so beautiful about the letter to Diognetus is the letter to Diognetus is most likely a response to one of these attacks by a man named Diognetus. Diognetus is a Roman citizen, and he's writing against the Christians. Now, we actually don't have his original letter, um, so we can only assume based on the letter, but it seems as though he wrote a treatise attacking Christians, saying why they didn't belong in Rome, why they didn't belong in society. And then this anonymous Christian author, so Diognetus didn't write the letter, an anonymous Christian author writes back to Diognetus and says, here's our place in society. Here's our place in politics. Here's who we are as Christians. So this is, you know, from the first hundred years of Christianity, um, a Christian explaining his beliefs and how he thinks we ought to interact with the culture. So where's where's he begin? What is it that we... Um that we get from this letter as, as he, how does he begin his response? The first thing he begins with actually is that he's delighted in Diognetus's interest. Now, I think this is so funny because Diognetus may have been very politely interested or he may have been like violently attacking Christians. We don't know, but he starts with their interest. And I do think this is important, you know, no matter um, how in or out of favor we are with the culture, um, the Catholic church is always relevant. Mm. Right. Either because of something good we're doing or because the, you know, the society hates us or our teachings or whatever. Um, but the one thing they can't do is leave us alone. And Diognetus chooses not to just go out and rail against that or to be angry or combative. Um, he begins by saying, thank you. You know, thank you. Let's talk. Oh, gracious. It was beautiful. It really is. It's, it's uh, in some ways you, it could be uh, interpreted when Jesus says, love our enemies, mm. right? That he doesn't just lash back out of Diognetus. He says, thank you. How Let's dare talk. you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, he says let, me, let me tell you about ourselves, about mm. these Christians who you're so interested in. Then he goes on and he talks about, um, he immediately goes on and talks about how the Christians won't worship Roman gods, how this is their line in the sand and how Romans are silly to worship their gods because their gods are false gods. Why is this so important? Maybe give us just a little bit of context for like the, the, the sheer importance of this point to those living in the Roman world at the time. Well, culture, I mean, the, the root of the word culture is cultus, which is uh, religious worship. That's what that word means. Mm. And so a culture is a group of people who worship together. Now, Christians were living in the Roman culture, which was surrounded by pagan temples and by mm. all sorts of gods. And they would regularly in civic festivals, right? Think of like 4th of July, would get together and offer sacrifices, either meat or incense or whatever it might be to these gods. So Christians wanted to be part of the Roman culture, wanted to be part of Roman society, but refused to take part in these cultural landmarks. And this is why Christians, early Christians were actually branded as atheists. Not that they didn't believe in any God, but they didn't believe in the right gods, yeah. right? They didn't believe in our gods. And so what are you doing in our city if you don't believe in our gods? So, so almost everybody believed in these pagan gods, but for Christians and, and maybe Jews. So, yes. So it's really, um, it's a bit of a... Is it fair to think of it like uh, maybe a thumb in the eye to their to their fellow citizens that they're not believing in these in these same gods? Is that how 
Is that how diagnosis is, is maybe approaching this? I, I think absolutely. And remember this too, that many of the Roman gods um, were kind of patrons of, of different things. So we think of um, uh, Vestus, mm. right? And the temple Vestus, which was to the goddess of the family. Well, if Christians won't sacrifice to Vestus, do they believe in the family? Mm. Do they even believe in the same, you know, uh, uh, beliefs and attitudes and priorities that we have? So, yes, it was an attack on the Roman gods, but also on Roman priorities, mm. on, on the Roman sensibilities and way of life. It was a, they saw it as a total rejection of who they were. Mm. And so, of course, they got very upset. And Diognetus wrote, you know, a big letter probably, you know, attacking Christians for rejecting this. So, so, and then in this letter, it's, it, it opens with this attack on these, on these Roman gods. Um, what, why start there? Because Christians do attack some of, well, all of these gods as gods, right? The big point he makes, first of all, is these are just statues. And many of you acknowledge that these are just statues, and yet you pray to them. You know, he takes from the Psalms, you know, they have eyes, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have mouths, but they cannot talk. In other words, you're doing all these things for inanimate objects. They're not actually giving you anything back. This isn't a relationship, and this isn't something that's going to help you. He also attacks these gods because he is attacking some of Rome's priorities. That is that Christians do differ from Romans in some of these priorities. Probably not in family, right? Although, you know, the Christian idea of the family is very different, say, from the Roman idea of family. Right, the Christian idea of economics as compared to the Roman idea of economics, and and so he he wants to first of all say we are different. You're not wrong, and we don't agree with many of your gods and with many of your priorities. And from there, um, he moves into this discussion of soul and body. Uh, how did he mean it? Can you tell us what he said and, and how we should take it? Yeah. So after he says, he says, look, so we have, we differ, right? We disagree. Let's agree to disagree is kind of what he says. Like, like you have your gods and, and we will not worship those gods. And then he says, so then why are we even in your cities? And he points out that Christians don't belong to just one group. He says, we're not distinguished by race or class or um, uh, any of the other social markers. I almost said creed, but of course Christians are, didn't, you know, um, segmented by what they believe, by their creed. That's the thing that makes a Christian a Christian. Not what part of town they live in, not how much money they make, not what job they have, not what race they are, not what, what culture they grew up in. And he says, so Christians are found in every city of the world. And he points out that Christians don't go make their own cities. Right, that we don't, we don't, we don't uh, uh, cluster. Right, we want to be everywhere. And he goes off on this for quite a while, actually. And then he says, "Okay, in short, let me sum up." And this is probably the most important paragraph of the entire letter to Diognetus. He says, "In short, Christians are like the soul of the body politic." Now, when I say body politic, I mean the 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 Word polis means people, right? So politics is how people live together, right? And so he says, we're like the soul of the body politic of, of the group of people that make up a city or a country or whatever it might be. And what does he mean by that? Well, let's talk about our bodies and our souls for a minute. Um, I have a body. So do you, Chris. And we both have souls, right? If not, that would be very disturbing. Um, but I can't see your soul. 
I see your body. Your body is very evident to me. It's, it's sitting across the desk from me, right? And your body can move and do things, right? But your soul is invisible. But here's the thing. When I look at my hand, my hand can only be where my hand is, right? My hand can't be my foot, right? That's what a foot is. Hands and feet are different. My soul is in my body, but it's in every single part of my body. And it's what helps move and contribute to the functioning of my body as a whole. So when he says that Christians are the soul of the body politic, what does he mean? He means that Christians want to be present at every single level of society. There's nowhere where all of you Romans are, he says, that we don't want to be. Mm. And, and in part, what he's saying is, look, we reject your gods. We don't reject you. Right? We reject some of your priorities and the things that you believe will make a society good. But we don't reject you. We want to be with you and among you. And you might, you can't look, say, in the same way that I can't look at you and see your soul, right? I can only see your body. A Roman might scan a city street in the first century, in the second century, and he wouldn't be able to pick the Christians out of the crowd, right? Right? They would be invisible among them because they're not of you know a given race, or it's not just the rich people, or it's not just the poor people, or it's not just the military people. You know, there yeah. were there were religions that were just for military members and things. He goes, no, 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 we're everywhere, right? Um, but you're not going to be able to see us immediately. Mm. I mean, I I've even heard it remarked that in in looking at the archaeological evidence of the early Christian communities, even the symbols that they chose to represent their creed, their faith, they're really symbols that are taken from the world that, um, you know, a fish, for example, this is, there's nothing particularly Christian about a fish, but it was Christians who, who took this symbol and in a certain sense, baptized it. Um, Absolutely. That's a very early Christian uh, tradition and mode of evangelization. So for instance, the earliest pictures we have of Jesus um, in Rome, he looks like the God Apollo, mm. right? Now to some Christians that, you know, that might make the hair stand up on your head. Ooh, that's crossing wires. We don't want to do that. That makes us uncomfortable. But what they were trying to say is, hey, this guy that we knew, this person, this human being, this man who lived and died, right? He was God. He was actually, he was like Apollo, but you've never seen Apollo, but we saw this man and we saw him rise from the dead, right? Um, they were trying to communicate the faith in ways that Romans would understand, right? Again, blending into society, but also not completely agreeing with society. And this is the second point of, of his argument or his metaphor of being the soul of the body politic, that even though the soul is everywhere in the body, there are times where the soul and the body will disagree, will argue, will be at war with one another. But, uh, and that can, I think, evoke strong sentiments for us because we experience that even viscerally. We don't oftentimes like conflict. We don't like it when we're running against the grain or, or swimming upstream, if you will. Um, yet at the same time, there's this insistence that uh, the, the body needs the soul. You know, in classical terms, the soul, this animating principle, without it, the body is dead. Yeah, that's the literal definition of death, right? When your soul leaves your body. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, you gave me a, just earlier when we were visiting this really kind of um, visceral Im image of, of what happens when there's a body without a soul, it's dead, it begins to rot. Like, we'll just take it to the next step. 
Um, so even, I just think it's, it's fascinating that even at this point, um, in the, in the second century of Christianity, there's this, um, this, this profound sense of, of how much the world needs Christ. Um, and that is to say how much the world needs us to be Christians within the world, mm. not to run off and, and, and build up separate enclaves or cluster, as you put it. Um, and that's not to say that uh, we shouldn't have deeply life-giving relationships with other Christians, but in doing so, we shouldn't, we shouldn't cut ourselves off from the world in which we live. Well, this is present in the early church. Think of how every single Sunday on the Lord's Day, um, which was not, by the way, that's not a national holiday for Rome or anything. That's a work day, right? But all of the Christians gather together. They meet, they pray, they read the scripture, they receive from the Lord's table, they receive the Eucharist, right? And then what did they, what, what does the, the presider say? Go, get out, leave, right? right? He dismisses them, which is where we get the word mass, misa. He mm-hmm. dismisses them out, go, now go We've, we've had our time together. We've had our time to strengthen and support one another. We've had our time to receive kind of the, the strength and the energy that we need. Now go and take your presence to every corner of the society in which you live, right? Be the soul of the body. Be present everywhere. Um, now, there are sometimes, like we were saying, where the, the soul and the body are going to be at war. And what, what does that feel like? Well, for us, it feels like the fact that Christians have never really fit into America. Mm. Uh, and especially as Catholic Christians, we've never really fit into America. In fact, in, if we go back in our history, there have been many times where Catholics were excluded from social life, from economic life, and especially from political life. Yeah, and it, uh, the history of our country, of course, with uh, you know large waves of Catholic immigration, Germany, Ireland, uh, Poland, Italy, many other places um, in the in the 19th century, early early 20th century. There was a deep uh, suspicion of us uh, because at that time America was was very much a Protestant country. We were viewed with suspicion because we're, we're we're papists. We've got this foreign allegiance to this um, this figure that Americans don't really understand. Who is the Pope? Um, we have practices that are a bit unusual. You know these rosary beads. Um, even our churches look different. Um, we yeah, at that time we would have been speaking and praying in a different language, right? In Latin, right? right? Yeah. Um, and and so we, in many ways we're we're separated. And the tension in Catholic life has always been one of two ways: do we stay faithful um, to our beliefs and feel that that war? That I don't mean literally feel that tension, feel that struggle between the society and ourselves, or do we compromise on what we believe? You know, as sadly many. Catholic politicians throughout our history have yeah. to compromise on our beliefs and so be accepted and welcomed in by the body politic. Right. Right. And part of what Diognetus is getting at is that it is, you know, the soul and the body will at times be at war and that's okay. Um, that it can actually be healthy. And so kind of the, the great example that I would give to you about this is fasting. Now, whether you're talking about fasting for Lent for a religious reason, right? It's, it's been documented throughout, you know, all of human history across religions that there's something about fasting that opens up part of our soul, that mm. opens us up to experience, to listen to God maybe. Um, you know, it's, there's something about hunger. You can't run away from it. And so right. the second you're hungry, then you're like, you're like you can't ignore it. 
Um, and so you get used to discomfort. Mm. And now that I know I'm not seeking comfort, maybe I can seek something else. Maybe I can see something deep. But even if, even if you don't want to go with that religious framework, you know, one of the most popular practices in fitness and health right now is intermittent fasting, yeah. right? There have been so many papers and, and documents and YouTube channels and stuff about all the benefits of intermittent fasting, about not eating during the day and yeah. then eating one big meal at night, you know, and then for, for most of the day, depriving yourself of food. Now, when you do that, if you've ever fasted, your body and your soul are at war because your body says, like, give me that cheeseburger. Like, give me that food. I'm, I'm so hungry. Right. And it's, it's, it's uh, a voice in your head. Right. But your soul, your intellect, um, the deeper part of you knows, hey, this will be good for me. This will be good for my soul. This will be good for my body. This will be good for my nutrition. Right. And so you do it. And to, yeah. Yeah. To bring the analogy, uh, I mean, this is one that the letter explicitly uses to make the analogy to Christians as the soul of the world. Um, quoting from the letter, as the soul benefits from the deprivation of food and drink, so Christians flourish under persecution, end quote. And this is, um, you know, thank God in America, we're not uh, suffering a violent persecution as they are in other parts of the world. You know, Nigeria, uh, Pakistan, uh, Egypt, we could you know, we can name a litany of countries. It's been documented that, in fact, in this present day, uh, Christians, more Christians are dying for their faith than at any other point in human history. But even in America, we've seen a bit of a, um, I don't know how you want to put it, maybe a soft persecution. Even in the political realm, as we see uh, judges, you know, going up for federal confirmation, um, there was a judge on the Seventh Circuit who, um, when she was up, uh, Amy Comey Barrett is her name, a, a Catholic woman, um, and she was just lambasted for her faith. There was a, a federal district court judge down in Nebraska more recently. Um, he's a member of the Knights of Columbus, and he was just being taken to task um, in these public hearings because he's a member of um, a member of this this Catholic fraternal order. And, you know, on the, on the one hand, this can be scary. And I know many Catholics who are concerned about kind of the rising anti-Catholicism happening. At, at the same time, look back to our earliest Christian predecessors. Look back to the letter to Diognetus from 130. They were being persecuted there. And what does he say? Well, we flourish just like a soul flourishes under fasting. But it goes deeper than that because it's not just good for us, right? It's good for the body. It's mm. good for society. Um Christianity and more, more particularly Christians presence in society is good for society. It's part of what we're called to do is to be a force, say for the poor, right. Or for the unborn or for those who don't have anybody to speak for them, um, to be a force still arguing, not just for whatever you want to do or for this or that, but, but for what's true, what's good, what's beautiful. Um, that this is part of our call is to be this soul at, at the beginning of this program, I said, you know, part of what I was so interested in was how do I, as a Catholic priest, talk to God's people about their political responsibility, their political duty in our country today? And I think when I read this and my, my heart was just set on fire, my, you know, I was just so excited about what I was reading was two things. One, to be a Catholic in this country in any, or in any country, in any time of human history, means that you are going to suffer. Mm. But that's not a destruction of your faith. In fact, it will enliven your faith. It will enliven your soul, right? And it's, it's part of why we're here is to struggle against the world. 
But the second thing is that we are called to be the soul of the body politic. So earlier you mentioned what happens when a, when a soul leaves the body. Well, right now my soul is in my body. And so my lungs and my heart and my liver and my kidneys and all of these different systems, right? My hands and my feet, they're all working together for a single purpose, mm. right? The second my soul leaves my body, all of these different chemicals and tissues and things will stop working together and will start, you know, decomposing and warring with each other. They'll no longer be organized by any, you know, particular thing. They'll all become their random stuff. And what happens? They begin to break down. They begin to decay. They begin to rot. Frankly, it gets very stinky, right? Um, this, is, this is what death is. Well, Catholics are called to be the soul of the body politic insofar as we ought to bring some cohesion some organizing principle, some purpose to a given society, which is to do what's right, to be good in the world, to be a force for good in the world, right? And as soon as society completely kicks us out, which they have not done yet, let me be very clear, they have not done yet. As soon as they do, all of the different parts of our political process will break down will begin serving their own purposes, will stop working for a single goal, but work just for themselves. And what'll happen? It'll decay, it'll rot, and it'll stink. And yeah. I just want to point out, if you've ever been listening to, you know, a political podcast or watching the news or reading the newspaper and you, you read the political section and you just, you know, throw it down in disgust and you say, oh, I hate politics, it stinks. Yeah. Then you have a purpose in the society. Then you have a purpose in politics because right there where it stinks Catholics aren't present, mm. right? Right there, or more particular, let me be more specific. Right there where it stinks, Christ is not present. Mm. And your job as, as the soul of the body politic is to take him there. And so like I preached this one Sunday, you know, terrified as a, as a new young priest that I was, you know, going to, the torches and pitchforks were going to come out. But my message was very simple and it would be the same thing that I would tell all of you today. What's our job in politics? Be the soul. Be the soul of the body politic. Bring the freshness and the warmth and the love and the truth of Christ to all of these places where people are serving their own interests and fighting amongst themselves and it stinks. Bring new life to these places. This is what Diognetus knew all the way back then. It's what I think we need to recover and live again as Catholics. I dare say um, with, with an election year looming and um, in, the, in the years ahead, this is, this is a message. Um, that, that really needs to be shared. So maybe we'll we'll just leave it at that. Um, where it stinks, be the soul. Mm. So Father Andy, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. God bless.